0: I'm really happy this morning to get to introduce uh, our guest preacher, and I have some notes about him, so I want to make sure I remember those things. But I got to know Al a little bit um, a couple years ago through our denomination when he um, was training some of our overseas missionaries, and I got to spend a little bit of time with those folks and um, just really appreciated the chance to kind of hear from him and learn from him a little bit. He also was here with us um, when the president of our denomination in in the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo uh, was visiting with us. If you guys remember that, maybe a year or so ago. So he uh, has been with us before, but he is the executive minister of um, Serve Globally, which is one of the departments in our denomination uh, that um, that takes care of international uh, ministries. He told me this morning, he told us this morning that he travels about 75% of the time, uh, so we're glad that he's here in Chicago with us uh, today. Uh, he's also uh, a professor at North Park University of missional and global leadership, and uh, so those of you, any, I know we have some like, young people in here interested in going to, looking at North Park, you can talk to Al about North Park, I'm looking at you, Hollis, uh, after the service, and uh, he may have some insight for you there. Uh, Al has served in congregations and community development uh, ministries throughout the United States, as well as the Philippines. He's the former uh, president of Evangelicals for Social Action. He's written a few different books. Um, His wife, Janice, is with us today. She's a family nurse practitioner. Is that right? Did I get that right? Okay. I was just FNP. I was like, doing my best to try to figure out what FNP meant. Um, I know Janice through a Sankofa trip. She and I got to go on a Sankofa trip together and really loved the opportunity to get to know uh, to get to know her a little bit. She's at Lawndale Christian Health Center. I think we have some Lawndale folks here as well. So you may know Janice already. And then um, one of their four children is here. Zoe's with us today. And uh, her boyfriend, uh, George, from Greece is here as well. So any Greece lovers can talk to George after the <laughs> service. <laughs> I already told him, like, Peggy and I want to go to Greece. So we're going to ask you all these questions afterwards. So. Uh, but it's a real privilege to have Al with us this morning. And um, so I, I just want to ask that you would uh, pray with me as he comes, that he would preach uh, clearly and boldly and prophetically whatever God's given to him for us today. So, Spirit of God, we thank you uh, for the gifts that you give your people. And we're thankful for the gifts that you have given, um, Al, for the good of your people and and your church. Um, We pray that uh, through the employment of of his gifts that you'd stir up the rest of us today uh, for the ways that your spirit has... Uh, Empowered us to represent you uh, well, to proclaim your gospel, to demonstrate your love, that you would stir those gifts up in us uh, through your servant this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you welcome Al, please?
1: Thank you, David. Good morning, everybody. Lovers of Greece, go see George. Don't inundate him. Lovers of Greece. Who doesn't love Greece? Well, it's so good, to, uh, so good to be here. Thank you for the invitation to letting us uh, come and worship with you, um, for me to share some thoughts. Janice and I have been here a couple of times, and yeah, that first time that we were here, um, we had a very um, uh, prominent uh, visitor, prominent guest, uh, President Jules Mboka. President of the largest covenant church in the world, in the Democratic Republic of, of Congo. Just to give you some context, um, there are about 870 congregations, covenant congregations in the United States and Canada. In, uh, in Congo, there are 1,800. Um, so it's, you know, double, almost, uh, it's, it's more than double what uh, what we have. So um, he was here with us, if you'll recall. Um, we have important important companions with us this time as well, and uh, David introduced them. But uh, I want to just say uh, that our youngest daughter—I'm going to brag on her just a little. She's six days away from graduating from North Park <laughs> University, and uh, you know, let me be proud, Dad, just for a second. And, and uh, congratulations, sweetheart. Um, yeah. David, thanks for the introduction. Um, I have now, for the last couple of years, been serving as Executive Minister of our denomination's International Ministries, which we simply call Serve Globally. And as Executive Minister, I've had the privilege of traveling all over the world. Really, I've got the best job in the world. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's not the travel that's amazing, it's what I see when I go to these places as I visit our our missionaries and our ministry partners working together doing extraordinary things, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Sometimes I feel like Roy Batty. How many know who Roy Batty is? He was that replicant in the original Blade Runner, okay, toward the end when he says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire, off the shoulder of Orion. I watched the seams sea glitter in the dark near the Townshend Gate, etc. Feel like that sometimes, you know. Seriously, when I return from a trip, I don't ever feel like I have the adequate words to describe the holy work of the gospel among refugees and orphans and widows, the sick and the lost, at the hands of our missionaries and ministry partners. Again. Working together. Ordinary people like you and me doing extraordinary things. It's a beautiful thing. And I see it here sometimes as well in the United States. And, you know, I have uh, I've spoken uh, in churches all over the world these last few years, but I have rarely been invited to speak at a church in Chicago. And that just doesn't, just doesn't feel right. Because before I'm called, before we're called to the ends of the earth, we are first called to bear witness to the gospel right where we are. We should be local before we're global. Amen? So thank you again uh, for giving me a chance this morning to be local with you. And during Advent too, what a bonus. What a bonus. Good to be with you, sisters and brothers to remember together where our concrete faith and our real hope reside. It is in the one who embodied the kingdom of God in his first coming and who will bring this kingdom to its fullness at his second coming. I believe that. And if you believe that too, Merry Christmas. In the expectant spirit of Advent, I look forward to that day more than ever, actually, as the, as the world seems to be imploding. You feel that too? I've never thought of myself as a, a doomsday kind of preacher, but lately, I just that's all I've been feeling. I've been feeling doomsday about things. And I know I'm supposed to be this rah-rah, confident, motivational speaker as a denominational leader, but frankly, I have been fighting despair and discouragement this past year over what's going on in our country, in our world, and I've been very disappointed in the church as a whole, not just the, I'm not talking about the Covenant Church, I'm talking about the church, capital C, about how they're uh, generally for supporting leaders and policies that, that seem so blatantly contrary to our faith. I admit, I, I have allowed these external circumstances to bring me down. I'm just confessing to you as a brother. In my 55 years of life, over 30 of it in, in, in ministry and mission, I, I have never felt the level of chaos that I do today. Mass shootings in places of worship. In places of worship. In the U.S. and, and Egypt and, and, and elsewhere. Intensifying racial Tension, stupid, crazy, soulless politics, not just in the U.S., but in many parts of the world, including my motherland, the Philippines. The blatant slave trade going on right now in Libya. The alarming number of refugees in the Middle East and Africa and Europe, not to mention the global poverty, which isn't going away anytime soon. Have I depressed you yet? Because if I'm going to be down, you're going to be down, you know. I mean, I'm glad that our little denomination is in the thick of addressing many of these things, trying to be good news. But frankly, the world situation feels monstrous to me. And I admit that I've been intimidated by its roar this past year. The turmoil and discouragement within my soul are real. Can anybody relate to this? So this morning, I want to share some thoughts with you out of the Lord's Prayer on this second day, on the second week of, of Advent. Just two verses out of the Lord's Prayer that have given me something resembling hope in this season when we're supposed to hope. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to me or turn on your Bibles uh, to... Matthew chapter 6, I just want to read one line out of Jesus' famous prayer. Matthew chapter 6, and I will read verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, uh, pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. God, let your word do its work in our hearts and in this place. Amen. You know, there are so many ways to, uh, to unpack this part of the prayer, but, uh, you know, in my current state, it has, it has served to remind me of a basic truth that I want to share with you this morning. And it's this. The transformation of the world Begins in the heart. The church's mission to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven begins with cultivating God's will in our own hearts. Before we are the subjects or actors of God's transformation project, we have to see ourselves first as objects desperately needing God's transformation. We have to see that part of God's mission, is cultivating God's peace and justice and forgiveness and mercy, love and grace in our own hearts. Or to quote Gandhi, to be the change that we want to see in the world. So This morning, I I bring you the, the interior, profoundly personal and spiritual part of what it means to be missional in a broken world. Honestly, this message is for me. Really, I'm preaching primarily for me today. That's usually the case um, up front speaking. the, The message almost always applies personally, but more so today. I need to hear this message. I need to hear this message. I confess that I have allowed the brokenness of this world to affect me, to affect my soul. I need God's word to begin to heal me so I can once again begin to contribute to the healing of the nations. So this is for me. Sorry, Pastor David. This is, I'm just being totally selfish this morning. This is for me. And if there's something here for you, then, then I will consider that a bonus. This one line in the Lord's Prayer holds the key to this inner healing that I speak of. This inner healing, which leads to the possibility of contributing to global healing. So let me just share uh, with you how I've been encouraged and directed by this one line in Jesus' famous prayer. First of all, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a prayer. Now, I know I'm stating the obvious here, but I forget that these words that came out of the mouth of Jesus was a prayer. Before it's a theological statement on the kingdom, before it's a missional call to practice the kingdom, before it is a pronouncement of the coming kingdom, this line is first and foremost a prayer. Prayer. This is so important for me to remember because it shows me that before we look horizontally at the needs of our neighborhoods and our cities and our nation and our world, we have to first look vertically to the one who alone can transform, to the one who alone can enable us to do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. Oh Lord, forgive me, forgive us for our our lack of faith, to draw near to you regularly in prayer. Forgive me for trying to change the world on my own power. I mean, how dumb is that? No wonder I'm feeling down and crushed by the weight of the world. No wonder my heart is filled with anger and bitterness and gracelessness. I'm trying to be an agent of transformation without consulting the one who alone can transform. I was attending a mission conference recently at a large church in South Korea. There was something about this church, a sense of uh, vibrancy and life that radiated from it. The leaders and the the staff seemed to know their purpose and they, they seemed to be living it out. Uh, in in unity, and the city seemed responsive. As the church, uh, one of the pastors told us, has been steadily growing in numbers since it started. Now, of course, numerical growth doesn't always indicate success in the kingdom sense, but in this church, numerical growth seemed to be going along with qualitative growth, that is, people growing deeper in their walk with God. It was, it was a it was a sense to behold. I, I, there was nothing I could, nothing nothing um, uh, singular I can point to and say, yeah, that's the reason why this church is so vibrant and, and alive. Well, during a break, one of the pastors took a group of us uh, on a tour of the facility. It wasn't a gaudy place at all, but it was big and and purposeful, with a bunch of hallways that led to different places. Um, you know, he and the and the tour guide pastor. Uh, guided us through the educational wing and the the library and the sanctuary, all impressive stuff. And then toward the end of the tour, his face kind of brightened up a little bit, as if he saved the best for last, as he guided us downstairs to the basement of the church. And what we saw when we arrived revealed to me what I believe to be the secret to the church's vibrancy and life. We saw a whole bunch of people praying for the world. The basement of the church. The pastor explained to us that the church's prayer ministry is 24-7. Church members tag team to intercede for the needs of the church, the city, the country, and the world around the clock, seven days a week. The church in Anyang City, South Korea, that church, never stops praying never stops praying. That scene is permanently etched in my mind, and it's inspired me and convicted me at the same time for the past handful of years. It inspires me by the reminder that it's God's power that ultimately transforms God's power, not social policies, political rallies, missional strategies, or faith-based activism. Now, now, I don't mean to to contrast these things over and against God's power because God's power can manifest in any of these things. I was just reminded by by, by that praying church that our involvement in any of these kinds of activities must begin with looking to the one who can alone bring true and enduring change. That scene also convicts me on a regular basis with the reminder that I simply do not rely on God's power enough. I just don't. I rely way too much on myself. I think, I think I'm all that sometimes. To my detriment. I don't pray nearly enough. Now, I don't say that as a legalistic thing, but as a heart condition a heart that doesn't habitually bend toward reliance on God. I can preach reliance on God easily. I am a, a professional Christian. But in practice, I'm basically an atheist. When I think about it long enough, I can run my life solve problems, and change the world on my own. Thank you very much. Oh, Lord, please close the gap between our profession of faith and our practice of life and ministry. Close that gap, oh, Lord. Back to the Lord's Prayer. The fact that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is first and foremost a prayer reminds me in this season of Advent to look up again, to look to Jesus, author and finisher of our faith, in order to move toward being the healers, wounded and broken as we may be, that God has called us to be. So in light of the reminder that the Lord's prayer is a prayer, we should obviously pray. But pray for what? What has God, what has Jesus instructed us to pray for? What did Jesus mean when he instructed us to pray, thy kingdom come? Well, this, of course, begs the question of what the kingdom is. Right? What is the kingdom of God? I first heard this strange phrase, kingdom of God, in a song many years ago, many, many years ago. As a new Christian in my late teens, I sat with a group of peers who obviously knew the song well. And so, if there are any old people here like me in the house, we know that the song goes like this Seek ye first. Come on, sing it with me. The kingdom of God. Come on, old people. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, choir. You know, it was a simple tune, so I learned it quickly. In time, I got over the embarrassment of singing publicly with others, and I began to sing, Seek Ye First, along with many other faith-affirming songs, along with my new friends, whenever we gather together. These songs were nice alternatives, and here I will really date myself to Saturday Night Fever, <laughs> Funkadelic, and Kiss. Remember those bands? Though we also, mostly in secret, continue to listen to the devil's music. In retrospect, Seek Ye First was a kind of anthem of faith. But really, we had no idea what we were singing about. It took me several years before the reality of the kingdom of God began to grip me far more than the heavenly place where we go when we die. The kingdom of God is an all-encompassing alternate reality the challenge is all that is wrong with the universe. That's how big the kingdom of God is. So when, when we kids declared in song that we seek it first, we pledged allegiance to the government of God to topple broken, corrupt systems of sin, violence, oppression, and injustice. Innocently, sweetly even, we sang to join a revolution Of personal, social, and cosmic proportions. That's the kingdom of God. Now, there's a biblical word that captures all of this, and it's the word shalom. I love that word. Shalom. The kingdom of God is really the socio political expression of God's shalom, which refers to real and total peace, peace with justice peace between God and people, peace between people and people, and peace between God, people, and the very creation itself. Jesus said to pray for that, to pray, thy shalom come. Your will of shalom be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the point I want to emphasize this morning is that that this gigantic idea of shalom also includes and must include the human heart. My heart. You know, most of my ministry through the years has been helping the the hyper-individualistic church to see the bigness of God's kingdom mission, that it isn't just about me and God, that it includes addressing social injustices and reforming political structures, but today... Today, I feel led to say with equal passion that God's shalom, big as it is, also includes the personal dimension of rooting out the vileness that we have let fester in our own hearts. For how can I, how can we possibly be an agent of God's shalom if our hearts are filled with anti-shalom-like sentiments? How? with festering anger toward those we disagree with uh, and thoughts of harm on political leaders whose policies we despise and resentment toward a huge part of the church that has brought that has bought into an anti-kingdom agenda. That stuff has been festering in my heart. I mean, you know, when, when I read the scriptures, when I, when I read that verse, it says to pray for our leaders. You don't want to hear my prayers right now. not shalom-like. Can an always angry, hateful, bitter heart produce the fruit of God's shalom in the world? That's the question I've been asking myself. Can an always angry, bitter, hateful heart produce the fruit of God's shalom in the world? We know the answer to that. Of course it can't in deep prayer for shalom to come, I pray that it touches and heals our hearts too. Not instead of touching and healing socio-political brokenness, but rather so we can become part of the solution and not the problem of our divided, hateful, and violent world. In these two short verses, embedded in a larger prayer, Jesus managed to weld together the vertical and the horizontal, forever declaring that only praying, worshiping people, lovers of Jesus, can ultimately engage the world in God's shalom mission with any measure of effectiveness. A shortcut way of saying this would be only inner shalom can lead to true outer shalom. That truth forces me to look deeply and humbly and painfully into my own heart and to submit to the Holy Spirit to do the work of shalom in here. So that I'll be able, O Lord, to let your will of shalom be done on earth as it is now. New community, I I so know and appreciate your deeds, how you sow seeds of shalom in your neighborhood and beyond. Every time we come, we hear announcements of of shalom sowing. I do. I've fallen in love with your pastor as I've gotten to know him, love his heart for justice, reconciliation rooted in faith in Christ. Serve globally, calls on him on a regular basis to speak to our missionaries. I know that you know what I'm talking about today. I think of the Advent fast you're doing as cultivating your interior life for the sake of effective mission. Thank you for your example to me, to the greater ECC and beyond, of comprehensive shalom, which includes the heart. Thank you. I pray that... uh, You've heard this message today as an encouragement to keep doing what you're doing and to be ever mindful of the deep, inseparable connection between our spirituality and our mission in the world. So let me conclude with Al's amplified version of Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Thy shalom come. Thy perfect, comprehensive, all encompassing will of peace and justice forgiveness and mercy love and grace be done on earth and in my heart as it is in heaven amen let's pray god what a what a gigantic vision that you have imparted to us the vision of your shalom to be restored upon the earth. It's so big, God, and it has given us meaning and purpose for our own lives as we find our our niche, our role in that vision, what you would have us do. But God, I want to thank you this morning that before we are your servants, you have called us to be your children and you treat us as such you've invited us into your house and we get to we get to play and we get to sit on your lap we get to experience your embrace and in those things we get cleansed inside and we we pray for a a cleansing of our hearts this morning. Lord God, forgive us for growing vileness in our hearts. Pray that your Holy Spirit would do work in there, in our hearts. Will you cleanse us? Will you purify us, O God? Will you fill us anew with the the pure power of your spirit, so that indeed we can go boldly and humbly and be the agents of shalom that you've called us to be. Lord God, this is my prayer for me. This is my prayer for my sisters and my brothers in this place. We submit ourselves anew to you and your spirit.
0: Fill us, O God. Can we thank Al, please?